This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The term algorithm is so often wrapped up in conversations about the potential of artificial intelligence and advanced computers that it can seem almost magical especially when we're told the answer to just about any problem, no matter how complicated, is an algorithm. They point people towards new music. There is a 73% chance you will like this deep neo-synth pop track. They determine what ads we see and whose posts pop up on social media feeds. Like and subscribe. They even handle people's stock portfolios. Buy, sell, buy, sell, 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 buy. In reality, though, they're just computer programs. Complex ones, sometimes, but it all comes down to ones and zeros. Still, it's undeniable that algorithms have become steadily embedded in just about every aspect of our digital lives. But psychologist and behavioral scientist Gerd Gigerenzer thinks they're way overhyped. So a deep neural network has many, many layers, but they're still calculating machines. Gigerenzer is the director of the Harding Institute for Risk Literacy at the University of Potsdam, and he previously ran the Center for Adaptive Behavior and Cognition at the Max Planck Institute for Human Development. His research over decades has helped shape our understanding of how people make choices and find patterns when faced with uncertainty. And Gigerenzer argues that our intuitive abilities are surprisingly good. Even more so, he says, than the computer algorithms that are increasingly tasked with making choices for us. In his latest book, How to Stay Smart in a Smart World, Gigerenzer looks at the algorithms behind everything from self-driving cars to social media and how their choices are shaping our future. They can paint, they can construct text, but that doesn't mean that they understand text in the sense humans do. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. Today, we're bringing you my conversation with Gerd Gigerenzer on the future of algorithms, how they are shaping our world, and the ways they could change our cities, our relationships, and even our own behavior. That's after the break. High inflation has impacted many of us. But what happens when prices go up 55, 67, or even 276%? It makes living more costly. It eats into your paycheck. At the end of the day, the salary itself, it's not enough. And money quickly loses value. You can't see if you can't do anything. Check out our complete series on extreme world inflation from A to Z, from What's News, plus other exclusive content on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Gerd Gigerenzer, welcome to the future of everything. Thank you for inviting me. The term algorithm is thrown around just so much and in so many different contexts these days. What are we talking about when we talk about algorithms? So it's a huge thing, and therefore it's important to distinguish what we are talking about. And for instance, one of the insights on in my research at the Max Planck Institute is that 
if you have a situation which is stable and well-defined, then complex algorithms such as deep neural networks are certainly better than human performance. So examples are chess, Go, Jeopardy, which are stable. But if you have a problem that's not stable, for instance, you want to predict a virus, like a coronavirus or just a flu, then keep your hands off complex algorithms. The uncertainty, that's more how the human mind works. To identify the one or two important cues and ignore the rest. So that's a point that you're just making depending on the type of problem, whether it's stable, well-defined, or instable and not well-defined. In that type of problems, ill-defined, like cancer, complex algorithms don't work well. And that has been shown again and again and again. I call this the stable world principle. Helps you as a first clue about what AI can do. It also tells you that in order to get most out of AI, we have to make the world more predictable, including humans need to become more predictable. And if you want the optimal output of AI, then we all need to change. In what ways do you mean? If we need to become more predictable, what would that mean for our daily lives? Okay, Uh, think about self-driving cars. A self-driving car is a so-called level five car where no human needs to pay attention and which can drive safely under all traffic conditions. So level one is just one system like distance control. Level two integrates many systems, for instance, for automatic parking. That's where we are. Level three would be a system that can do everything, but still a human needs to pay attention second by second. And level four is now the point where we're getting towards the principle we need to adapt for. A level four car is a car that can drive by itself without human attention, but only in restricted and well-prepared environments. That means only on certain highways or in certain cities or parts of cities. And that means that our environments need to be redesigned. So for instance, that no human drivers are on the road, no bicycles, no pedestrians. And then these cars will drive safely because the environment has changed. In these cities of the future, humans will no longer be allowed to drive. Interesting. That doesn't seem so smart to me. Uh, So why is it that these artificial intelligences can't deal with things they can't predict? Let's talk about deep artificial and neural networks, which are the state of the art and also used in cars. It's basically a statistical machine that can find regularities, correlations, but it is not like human intelligence. Human intelligence doesn't work by analyzing that type of correlations. Human thinking is causal. We have theories, we have intuitions, we have common sense. A deep neural network has neither of that. How should it have that? It's based on the data that it can analyze. So for instance, AlphaGo and AlphaZero, that are brilliant systems, but AlphaGo doesn't even know it's playing a game. It also doesn't know there's a human on the other side. 
It's a statistical machine. And we need to distinguish that and not fall prey to some of the movies that we have seen. So then, um, is it really that after all these decades and decades of computer science, are these really basically just still calculators kind of running more and more complex equations at the end of the day? What else would there be? A deep neural network has many, many layers, but they're still calculating machines. And they can do much more things than ever before with the help of video technology. They can paint, they can construct text, but that doesn't mean that they understand text in the sense humans do. So in your book, you write that similar level of ability does not mean a similar kind of intelligence. What do you mean by that? If a natural language model can produce sensible text, it doesn't mean that it understands anything about that. And you can see that by, uh, for instance, asking systems such as GPT-3 questions which make no sense. And still the machine tries to find the best answer to that and doesn't understand that the question makes no sense. For instance, Douglas Hofstetter has done a number of experiments and asked GPT-3 when was uh, Egypt transported across the Golden Gauge Bridge. Makes no sense. A human understands <laughs> that, yeah? but GPT finds the closest associations in the text that it has and produces a number, such as on October 1st of 2014. And in general, we should not think that statistical machines are the same as human intelligence. Both can do very different things. So why does it matter then if AI programs don't understand things in the same way that we do? Think about an automized car. The car will be in a situation that it had never encountered before. And that requires understanding and not reproduction. Or if you produce a weapon system that shoots better, targets better than humans, but doesn't understand what it's doing, there may be surprises. For instance, in studies where uh, deep neural networks have been taught pictures of school buses, which you need to know if you are part of an automatic car, and then little changes in these pictures mislead the neural network, and this is where it matters. The errors a machine intelligence makes are totally different from the errors humans make. And uh, this is why researchers are always surprised that a system that can recognize pictures, for instance, almost perfectly, and suddenly something totally unexpected happens, where you just ask yourself, how can it get this wrong? And the reason is because it is working by correlations and not by what we call common sense, intelligence, and intuition. Coming up, computer algorithms are being tasked with solving more and more complex questions. But do we really know how they're making those decisions? The case for more transparency in the algorithms ruling our lives. Stay with us. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just 
bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. So when it comes to knowing how these algorithms work, then how does that benefit the people affected by it? Just being able to understand how these algorithms are making these decisions, how does transparency help people? Transparency is immensely important, and I believe it should be a human right. I have worked with the German government, and we have recommended that all sensitive algorithms should be made transparent. If it's transparent, uh, you can actually modify that and start thinking yourself again, rather than relying on an algorithm that isn't better than a bunch of badly paid workers. Hmm. So we need to uh, understand the situation where human judgment is needed, and it's actually better. And also, we need to pay attention that we are not running into a situation where tech companies sell black box algorithms that determine parts of our lives. And if you look at China with a social credit system, you can see where this can end. But it's about everything, including your social and your political behavior. And then people lose control to governments and to tech companies. So spinning off of that, you write that digital technology can easily tilt the scales toward autocratic systems. Why do you say that? And how is this different from past information technologies? I, I can imagine this might be along the same lines as critics of early radio or even the printing press might have said when those innovations were new. This kind of danger is a real one. Among all the benefits it has, one of the vices is the propensity for surveillance by governments and tech companies. And the latter we already have. If you have a, a smart TV, then don't conduct personal conversations in front of the smart TV. But people don't read privacy policies anymore, so they don't know. And also the privacy parties are, are set up in a way that you can't really read them. Mm. They're too long and complicated. And one study showed that if everyone would read the privacy policies that they just click away, it would take 30 days every year. Wow. So we are in a situation where the only choice is to blindly accept everything or to spend 30 days a year. And this is a choice where human dignity is thrown out of the window. We need to get control back. We need to get dignity back and not go sleepwalking into a world of surveillance. So then how should we be smart about something like this then? So let me give you an example. Think about a coffee house in your hometown which serves free coffee. Everyone goes there because it's free. And all the other coffee houses get bankrupt. So you have no choice anymore, but at least you get your free coffee, enjoy your conversations with your friends. But in the tables are microphones and on the walls are video cameras that record everything you say, every word and to whom, and send it off to analyze it. And the coffee house is full 
with salespeople who interrupt you all the time in order to offer you personalized products. That's roughly the situations you are in when you are on Facebook, Instagram, or other platforms. And in this coffee house, you are not the customer. You are the product, more precisely your attention and your time. And this analogy shows you one of the solutions of a number of big problems would be. So we want to have a coffee house where we can pay ourselves, where we allowed again to pay ourselves so that we are the customers. So we could get back the original idea of the internet, which was one thought as the freedom of information, a paradise where people now can get the fruits from the tree of truthful information. We should note, we reached out to Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. It declined to comment. So paradise is a really strong word, but we've seen over the last 20, 25 years, this whole infrastructure around personalized ads and surveillance capitalism, as you call it, kind of be baked into the infrastructure of the internet. And it seems like it would take some pretty serious interventions to make that go away. If you're being realistic, where do you think we're going to be headed in, you know, the next decade or so with our relationship between technology and artificial intelligence and surveillance? That's a big question. In general, I have more hope that people realize that it's not a good idea to give you data and your responsibility for your own decisions to tech companies who use it to make money from advertisers. That can't be our future. We pay everywhere else with our money. And that's why we are the customers and have to control. And also, there is a true danger that more and more people are sleepwalking into surveillance and just accept everything that's more convenient. But it sounds so hard when everything is so convenient all the time to read these privacy policies and to to do research on all these algorithms that are uh, affecting my life. How do I push back against that? I mean, the most convenient thing is not to think. Uh, And the alternative is start thinking. There's a number of technologies, and most important is a mechanism that psychologists call intermittent reinforcement. It is that you get a reinforcement like a like or a positive comment, but you never know when you will get it. So it's like a postal system where there are many postmen around, everyone carries one letter and can turn up whenever. You would always watch. And in the same way, people keep uh, going back to the platform, keep checking whether there are likes. And that has really changed the mentality and made people dependent. I think it's very important for everyone to understand these mechanisms and how one gets dependent. So you can get the control back if you want. Gerd Gergerenzer, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ogenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Danny Lewis, with help from Ariana Asparu and Jonathan Sanders. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval are our sound designers. And Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Like the show, tell your friends to subscribe. 
and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And subscribe. Like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.